Welcome back to Filmcraft. What episode are we on now, Latif? 122. Yeah. We're getting up there, man. I think we're officially entering, like, the kind of old people realm of podcasts. Uh, I don't know. It still feels early. I think when you get to, like, 500, that that's about... That's fair. That's Maybe right. we're just out of adolescence now. Yeah, we're like juniors. Yeah, we're in high school. No, yeah. no, I don't like that. High school sucks. We're in college. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week we've got many topics, essentially. Um, so we're going to talk about... It's bad, I've already forgotten. We're going to talk about awards and our personal takes on them, uh, opening credits, and celebrityism. So it's a bit of a different episode, but I'm pretty stoked for this, actually. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Just for the sake of opening, let's start with opening credits. Latif, what's your take on opening credits? Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think I've always kind of enjoyed some of them, just as like an interesting way to get you settled in before a movie starts. It kind of introduces you to like some of the music or, or f- other faces or kind of colors or the the environment of what the movie is going to bring you um in a short amount of time but also kind of doing that mandatory thing of showing you (laughs) who's actors and all that shit are because sometimes that's required for films you have to have like a an opening credit thing where you list all the people that work on a film but it depends on uh you know where the film was made and whether it's a union project so when you're coming up with a project for yourself, do you think about it in the process of making it? Or is it something that you'll decide when you're in editing? Like, I don't know. Like, So let me come at this from my viewpoint real quick. I fucking hate opening credits. I think James Bond should be the only movie that ever has opening credits. Um, to me, opening credits, like I sit in a seat and I start watching a movie and I'm trying to get lost in the world and the story that they're giving me and when i keep seeing people's names popping on screen like henry cavill written directed steven spielberg it feels like the movie's just tapping me in the forehead repeatedly going like hey humans made this it isn't real it isn't real it isn't real and i can't get absorbed as well um so when i'm writing scripts i never think to include opening credits in them and i noticed that the way i write scripts i think it would actually feel really weird to try and put opening credits through any of the scenes that i have as openings in my scripts like i just straight up don't think it would work so when you're building a movie when do you think of this i mean i don't really put opening credit scenes in my short films so it's not really something i think about um I think if I were to make a feature film, I might have like a little one minute thing in the, in the beginning, but it's really just, it depends on the movie. I mean, there's some, I, I think that's the, maybe that's the issue is it's the names popping up to me. Like it's that opening credit scene. The, the purpose of it is more about introducing you to the world of the movie as opposed to like telling you who's working on it. So it depends on what what the I guess intent of it was. So like I there's there's some movies where I really enjoy the 
opening scene because I'm not paying attention to the names. I might like read them, but the images that are showing and, and the music that's playing, they kind of introduce you to the story sometimes. And that's kind of what I enjoy. Um, and when the music is good, it, it kind of makes it more enjoyable and easy to kind of settle in with as well. So it just depends on the film, I guess. Um, but, I, you know, I don't write that into scripts or anything. And if it were to happen, I, I think it would probably have it happen in the editing process for me. That's totally fair. I want to um, backtrack a little bit and actually touch on something you just mentioned where you said you don't do opening credits for your shorts. Um, I, I mean, having just said that I hate opening credits, I think it's a good idea not to do them for shorts. But when I, when what we don't say was doing the festival run, I remember I'd go to a bunch of short film blocks like as much as I could just because I wanted to you know, see everything and do everything I could, right? And every time I saw a short with credits, opening credits specifically, I was like, I don't understand why you're doing this. Because to me, like, a short has to be short. I mean, literally, it has to be. Not just to me, just that's what it is. It has to be short. And a lot of the times, these short film blocks are made up of movies that are hovering in the, like, 5 to 10 minute range. And to spend one minute of that on opening credits, because I often find that opening credits will be playing over something that's a little less involved than what you would call a regular scene. Like it, it's, it is that kind of visual introduction, like you were mentioning, like the colors, it might be an establishing shot of a house and then a car pulls up and someone gets out and you see their boots hit the pavement and then it pans up and there's a person and they walk towards the house. And during all of this, names are on screen, right? And I get that it's kind of like dipping your toes in the water, that is the movie, but at the same time, I'm like, if you're making a short where you have five to ten minutes, most of the time, every short I've seen that has done open credits, you could cut that and get to right after, and your short would, in my opinion, be stronger. Um, what's your take on short films having opening credits? Do you like what would you recommend to filmmakers, and is there a reason you don't do them in your shorts? I guess the only reason you might want to put an opening credit scene for a short film is if you have like a famous actor in your film you <laughs> want people to know that before they start watching you know that way that they'll be kind of like there's a reason to watch this <laughs> i guess that's the only thing i could think of but I, I don't put them in my films just because i don't think it's really you know necessary it's kind of like a in a way for anyone watching the short film, you want them to... It, well, for me, you, you just want them to get into it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And and because of that, I, I do have a, a, you know, a, a slightly longer, I guess, credit sequence in my films. But people can just turn it off once the film is over. Um, but I, I, you know, I do let out my end credits play a little longer. Um, but I don't have that many people working on my short films, so they're not really a huge list. Um, but I like to have my film kind of end with images, so it doesn't cut to black. There's actually credits playing over images in the end of you know both of my last uh, two short films. But I kind of enjoy that, and there's music and stuff there, so people can kind of like still feel like they're getting something even if they're just looking at the credits but I, I you know I find um, 
but like I've been seeing like with like the analytics of people that have been watching my short films people have been watching them through to the end of the credits which is kind of nice because I think some people are enjoying that last like minute of the film where yes the film is over but you're still kind of absorbing the kind of feeling of the movie um but that's kind of why I don't put stuff in the beginning because I want people to just get into it and kind of get get the story going as soon as possible because you know there's not that many people sitting down to watch short films like they do feature films so uh, you know I don't want to erect a barrier for the viewer before the movie's even started I'd rather let them make that choice at the end of the film yeah. fucking preach man that's exactly it. And I think, like, it's one thing... You got to think about how people are going to be digesting your movie, right? Um, like, seeing a short film block at a festival is very, very different than watching something on YouTube. And what I've just described, like, seeing these short film blocks and seeing shorts that have a minute-long um, intro credits... During that, I'm like, I don't want to be watching this intro credit, but I'm not going to get up and leave. And if it's you have a short where it's going to end up online, which let's be honest, at least 99% of shorts go that way. Then if I'm watching that same short on YouTube and 30 seconds in, I'm still in useless opening credits. My cursor is drifting towards the exit button. Like, I think you're totally right where you say the barrier to entry needs to be as low as possible. And I think it's um, exaggerated on short films. Like, you really need to be able to get absorbed as fast as possible. And I also like what you said um, for having a, a kind of, like, living credits at the end. I really enjoy that myself, too. And I, I haven't done it in a movie yet, really. Um but I love the idea of it almost seems like having your dessert of the movie kind of thing. Like it's over. You're just going to finish up this last little bit. That's a really nice kind of gentle, but just enjoyable send off. The names are there. You know, that's cool. Everyone that works on movies deserves to be credited. I'm not saying don't have credits on either end. I definitely have them on the back end. Um, so just in, Oh, yeah, and I was going to say, um, my opinion of credits is, like, I don't put them at the start because I'm like, if you do a good enough job in the movie, you know, whether you're acting, writing, directing, whatever it is, people are going to be like, this aspect of the movie was really, really good. And I only have to sit through 40 seconds of credits to see a name. They'll do that. So I'm like, if you want people to know... Like, really know what you're doing. Just try and do a really, really good job because people are going to want to know your name then. And if it's at the start of the movie, odds are by the next 90 to 120 minutes, they're probably going to forget that and either wait till the end credits or just look it up later kind of thing. Um, in terms of writing opening credits, like, would there ever be a situation other than, you know, say... Latif is hired to write a James Bond movie where you have to say insert opening credits here would you ever consider writing them into your script or in your opening scenes would you ever think like 
is it appropriate for opening credits to play over this? Because I think there are certain scenes that if you have something that's too involved, like it's a lot of people talking or a lot of action or something that's moving quickly, then opening credits can kind of be overwhelming in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think of it just as an opening scene or like a little kind of introduction montage to your movie. So I'm not really thinking about the actual credit system of it. Um, I'm usually just thinking about what that scene kind of embodies. So in that sense, I might write something that I, I even on the page, I would just write as a scene, but kind of note in my head that while I'm editing, I could put names on these images. And as long as the scene itself is working or the little montage in the beginning is working, then those names can kind of be in the background and, and just kind of be a part of that. But it's really about what the that opening is doing for the movie as a whole. Um, so yeah, it, it will really be about what the purpose of it is, but never just for the sake of having an opening credits scene. That's, that's totally fair, I think. Um, you mentioned that if you got to that point, it might be something where you would try and find it in editing. Um, when you got to that, to that point of, okay, let's see if this works, what do you think would be the deciding factors of it, whether it works or not? You know, if it kind of plays into the first, you know, I guess, actual scene of your film and keeps the pace that you're, you're kind of setting up, it, it all has to kind of fit into the puzzle. Um, you don't want to kind of jam something in there, uh, especially if it's like it's just a bunch of cool shots kind of stitched together. Um, sometimes you can just have like an, an aesthetic opening that, that looks very kind of interesting without without it having like a direct tiger movie that still works. But sometimes it could just be like a bunch of cool shots that almost seem like they're there just because they're cool as opposed to doing anything for a movie. Um, so I guess it just depends on that. I mean, I could think of two examples um, of opening scenes where there were you know names on screen but really it was about that what it was doing for the movie and it was kind of interesting um you know one was the tom ford movie nocturnal animals they have this kind of really hypnotic in a way a little creepy opening scene where there's just kind of people dancing um if you haven't seen it you should watch it it's very interesting um and it probably saying something about the the movie and the world that the characters are kind of living in but uh it, it's a little haunting and, and kind of works for the film i think and then another one that i really like is the opening scene for broken flowers you know there's kind of cool music playing and you see something that kind of sets the story off um but you see a process that I guess people don't get to see a lot of the time, but it kind of, you know, in a way is like this, the literal launching point of the story, but it's also just, also just a nice way to kind of set the tone and, and kind of the feeling. It, it's such a kind of mundane and not like super exciting thing, but there's something kind of peculiar about it, especially because it's like this pink envelope you're following. So you know, if you so if you haven't seen Broken Flowers, that's a to me that's a great opening um, credit scene where something is related to the story, but still it's 
got some aesthetic value and the music is nice and it's kind of like the thing that I I like to do at the end of my movies but yeah those would be examples for me if you wanted to check something out I haven't seen either of those and they're both on my list they just got bumped up on the list because of this um on that note, too, I want to check out the flip side of that. What do you think are some examples, if anything comes to mind, of opening credits done poorly or movies that might have benefited from not having opening credits at all? I don't think I remember the ones that I don't like. Because, like, you just... They kind of, like, don't stick with you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so forgettable, you know? Um, I'm just looking through, like, my... Whenever we record, I have, like, my watch list on, like, my streaming channels open just so I could, like, jog through movies that oh, I nice. can kind of, kind of, um, if I needed to draw a quick example, I could just remember any of these movies. But I've got, like, a Criterion collection open, so these, <laughs> I don't know if these are great examples of, like, commercial movies with opening credits. Let me open up my Netflix. Um, opening credits that I don't like. You know, I, I don't really... I, I remember the, the one for Deadpool and it being like this ironic opening credits, but I just, I just remember not enjoying them, like being kind of annoyed. <laughs> like it's trying to be funny, but I'm like, it's, it's still just like... I don't know. I think like... A, yeah, I, a lot of those films have like these really flashy credit things, but I find them kind of like really shiny candy. It's still kind of like, that's hard for me to critique. I don't really like the movie. So even the me breaking the credits isn't really going to be any any benefit. But <laughs> Well, I'll tell you something. I don't like the movie and the opening credits is no exception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I, I'm having a hard time remembering credits scene that I didn't like or something. That's fair. Um, I was going to say like the... The two that spring to mind for me, you and I were just talking about this beforehand, um, Lawrence of Arabia, that opening credit scene, and I find it's definitely a product of the time, right? Like back then, opening credits were just a lot more prevalent and very hmm. often a lot more static. And if you haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia, the opening scene is just a wide shot of a guy fixing a motorcycle. It's like four fucking minutes long, and then at the end he drives away. And to me, that's an example of opening credits that are just straight up wasting my time. I really, mm-hmm. really didn't like that opening credit. Um, and then, oh, what's the name of that movie? We talked about it um, in a kind of passing. Uh, the last thing he wanted, the Ben Affleck movie came out beginning yeah. of last year, I guess. And that one yeah. was just because... I mean, it's on Netflix. You can go watch it, anyone. But it's just overwhelming from the start. Like, there's a ton of talking. There's a ton of text. There's a ton of um, movement on screen. And the the credits themselves feel like they aren't on screen for long enough. So, like, you read half of a name and then it goes away. And I thought that one was quite poorly done. And that one would have been, I think, a good example of a movie that just would have benefited a lot from not having them at all. Hmm. yeah that's fair I think if they're like confusing that's not good as well sometimes that's a problem yeah, I mean there's like a example of like a big big films well I guess kind of big films that where the opening credits are always kind of interesting right? 
Nate David Fincher films because he always considers it very, very much in his movies. So I, you know, I actually remember his distinctly. I can't, you know, I'm not going to say like I love them, whether like integral to the story, but I, I always think they're very well done. Gone Girl, um, Panic Room, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in particular because it's got such a intense opening credit scene, but. They're always done very um, concisely. I always think they're very, very high quality. Um, so, that, you know, there's an example of someone who's always kind of thinking about it as opposed to just like doing like a standard, this is what you need in front of a movie. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think if you're going to do opening credits, I think you owe it to yourself at least whether or not it's in the scripting stage or you find it in editing, I think you owe it to yourself to say, how prominent do I want these to be? And like, other than the, on the note of David Fincher, other than the fight club credits from what I can remember, and I haven't seen girl with the dragon tattoo, but the ones in Zodiac, I think are very, very subtle. Like I think it's the overhead shot of the car moving through the streets and there's like tiny names in the corner. And to me, like I actually find that's really well done because the shot is super interesting and it's done in a really, really good way. And then the credits are almost there as a like, you can read this if you want, but if you're not into this, you can almost just tell your eyes, like, don't see that <laughs> and just watch the shot as is. And it works either way. So I think if you're going to make opening credits in your movie, just ask yourself, like, do I want this to be a big thing? And then if you do, like, if the actor's name is going to take up 60% of the middle of the screen, I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your movie to say, does this hurt the movie? Does this make the movie better? Does this help ease people into their seats? Or is it just obnoxious? You know, like, they, I think opening credits can fall anywhere on any of those spectrums really you know requires kind of a fine touch i think it's got to be more than just kind of glamorizing the people who worked on the movie and for a lot of like low budget independent films that's that's really all it's doing um i think maybe that's one place where big commercial movies have the upper hand on independent film is at least they look good Whereas independent films, like sometimes there's no like aesthetic quality, but it's also just like not purposeful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, James Bond is like kind of an example of this, but you can see opening credits that are more just like collages of mood. And I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think of that, because I think, you know, James Bond's a good example. Like you'll have this really strange, often like live action but rotoscoped over with weird artistic flair in it that's basically just a music video after the first scene and it's usually of like bullets and naked women and stuff like that but the song really sells it for that because james bond movies are known for having like their song right um so i think it works in that regard but i'll sometimes see indie movies where they go for something similar, but it's basically just like establishing shots stitched together for a minute and a half 
with and don't get me wrong like some of the establishing shots are are really nice and they look cool um but they just stitch together almost what appears to be like a a mood board of b-roll with credits mm-hmm. over it what's your take on that it just depends on the style i mean if it's done done with nice style and it's introducing you to the the visual world that's cool for me i don't mind that yeah i was gonna ask like in my mind what you're talking about is basically like a scale and in the middle of it is where you go from boring to interesting so where do you think it is that some movies can fall on one side of it and some can fall on the other like if you were looking at an opening credit say it's 90 seconds or whatever and you're like something about this isn't working what do you think is more likely that or most likely that made it boring maybe bad music <laughs> um that would that yeah i think annoy me well not annoy me but it was just kind of like i'd tune it out i think bad music would be one of them or boring boring choice of music f- for something um by boring i mean generic uh without like some personality or taste behind it and then maybe unconsidered images you know stuff that feels like it's like just like b-roll that you threw together or something um i think even if it's just like establishing shots or specifically things shot for an opening scene you can kind of feel when it's just like some b-roll <laughs> as opposed to when it's all very finely chosen for the opening like it if there's a difference in how it looks and how the camera moves and feels for stuff like that so i, I think that's something that you have to think about before you shoot something that's pretty much all the thoughts i have on opening credits like to, to sum it up basically I think if you're going to do opening credits, you owe it to yourself and to the movie and to the audience to ask, like, is this interesting? Would it make for a better movie if I just cut this opening credits and went to the real true first scene first? And at the you know, flip side of that, would it hurt the movie if I did that? Just think of all the variables, because I think a lot of the times opening credits, whether we like to admit it or not, are expendable. Like Lawrence of Arabia what i mentioned earlier you could cut that scene nothing fucking changes like in that scene nothing happens so in my opinion you could cut it not lose anything now sure you'd lose some music and maybe it would be a bit more of a an abrupt opening but when you're making a movie i think you owe it to yourself to check out those different variables yeah i mean it could also just be a a symptom of the time it was made as well you know, a lot of older movies do have quite long opening <laughs> scenes that aren't particularly interesting, but it's just kind of how they're intended to be made for movies. Like there's like a list and like a kind of image in the back and then just like names come and there's like this kind of swelling musical score. But that like, I think like tons of films had that um, from back, back when Lawrence of Arabia was made. You know, I think of like, you know, Powell Pressburger films, like some of them had like these openings that were just like kind of swelling music and names on a screen, like Black Narcissus, for example. <laughs> um, and it just could be like people are sitting in the theater and 
you're making that opening so people could have time to get to the seat or something. So sometimes it could just be that. Um, but I think, you know, overall, like the movie is still the movie. Mm-hmm. You can have a shitty opening credit sequence, but like a, you know, amazing film and the film is still amazing regardless of whether the opening credit scene landed or not. Hey, all right. Well, any last thoughts for you on opening credits? No, not really. I don't really think about it too much. <laughs> all right. Uh, that actually took quite a bit longer than I would have thought. I enjoyed that conversation a lot. Um, let's move on to the thoughts of awards. And I don't, this isn't going to be like a Latif and I predict the Oscars. But I did want to say, or the way that Latif and I brought this up was, I know we did an episode, what, 2019, 2018, whatever that was, of us just guessing who would win that year. And my opinion on awards and Oscars and shit like that has changed since then. Um, But Latif, I wanted to get your thoughts first. Like, What are your thoughts on awards, both in the grand scale of things like Oscars or all the way down to smaller things like film festivals and whatnot. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure they've changed subtly since I've last thought about them, but I think all in all, they're like, they're not super important really in the terms of the greater picture of, of, you know, the form of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many that, that have been given out and really who, who really remembers them after like 10 years. Um, so in the big picture, they're, they're kind of irrelevant. Uh, but in, you know, in, in the small scale of like one person's career, I guess they can mean something of great value to, to a filmmaker or an actor or something. But ultimately, you know, it's just kind of like, a, you know, a collective opinion on, on a piece of art. Whereas, like, there's some great pieces of art that I love that have no awards. So, um, I don't put too much stake in them. But at the same time, I've never won any awards. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, they can be fun as well. Like, I, I sometimes have fun watching people that I admire win Oscars. Like, I, I was very happy to see Roger Deakins win an Oscar. That was nice, because I like his work, and I like him as a person. He seems like a very nice, courteous guy, so. Yeah, totally. Like, before I share my thoughts, uh, that's one thing that I actually do think is really, really cool, especially in the case of Robert, <laughs> Roger Deakins, where it's like, he was nominated for what, like twenty four times or something, and then finally got one. Yeah, yeah, that that's always kind of a nice thing to see. But mm. you know, I you know I don't think I'll ever win an Oscar. Um, but it's also yeah. something that I don't have on a list of accomplishments for myself. I don't really, you know, I don't really think about that as like a a thing or a goal to reach just because it's kind of far-fetched. Um, I find a lot of value in, in, in much smaller things. Um, you know, it's really nice, like, when you make a film and an actor you worked with writes you, like, an email of, about how much they enjoyed it and how happy they are with how the film turned out. That's, that's to me, you know, 
really gratifying and sometimes unexpected and can offer you maybe a lot more value than an award, a collective award from people you've maybe never spoken to. Yeah, I will totally agree with that. Like, um, that in itself is a kind of like emotional award. And I think that's really, really awesome. Um, I was going to say like my, this kind of came about because, or me thinking about this at least, because I was, uh, I'd watched the new Borat movie, which I really, really loved. And as soon as it ended, I was like, man, realistically, that's one of the best movies I've seen last year. Sash Baron Cohen killed it. And I can't remember the name of the co-star, but whoever played Tutar, she was fantastic as well. I was like, they should all get nominated. And then I was like, you know what? Why do I care? And I kind of did like a little deep dive into my own soul. And I was like, okay, I think the good parts of the Oscars and bigger award ceremonies, you know, Oscars, Golden Globes, SEGs, all that kind of shit, right? Um, I like how it takes the medium that we work in and it kind of pimps it out to the public in a sense, right? And I like how the public can get invested in it. And I think through that, it just strengthens our industry as a whole. And I think that's that's actually really, really valuable. And I don't ever want that aspect of it to go away. And, you know, I'm not calling for like Oscars to be canceled or anything like that at all. Um, but I think that is the best part of the Oscars. And then, and bigger award ceremonies. And then like just the, the people that work really hard to make these things coming together and celebrating them and, you know, crowning a champion and whatnot. I think the, uh, the kind of what would be the best word for this the kind of aura of the night of just general celebration is a really really good thing as well but I started thinking like if Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't get nominated it's not that big a deal and it's not that big a deal not because he doesn't deserve it because he does you know he's a terrific actor i love his fucking brain i could listen to him talk about anything for forever but i was like everyone up there him included and everyone that gets invited and nominated and wins these people have already won life you know <laughs> like they get paid ludicrous amounts of money to do a job that people would literally kill to do just dream jobs right they get to be recognized by their peers which is also fantastic sash baron cohen in that case gets to sleep beside isla fisher every night so like how much winning do you need as an artist to feel validated and i was like you know in that sense everyone's already won so we don't need these awards but Again, on the flip side, like it's good for the industry as a whole. And then I started thinking of it down to film festival level. And that's kind of where I think the awards are a bit more less useless, <laughs> I guess you could say, because like these are usually indie filmmakers that are scraping by, you know, just managed to make this movie, probably living in studio apartments, stuff like that. And awards, you know, their payment in a sense can be these awards and celebrating their movies in this way and going out and hoping to get 
wider exposure for their movies and deals and stuff like that. So in the smaller scale of things, I was like, the awards actually feel more, more apt. And I don't want to say more deserving, but more, you can benefit from them more. Um, what's your take on all that? Yeah. I mean, for, you know, for the bigger industry, like whenever someone gets an Oscar nomination or, wins one it gives a little more clout to their name of course yeah um but even that's like temporary uh because even actors who have like 10 oscars when, when they get old sometimes people are like well yeah you did you won that like 20 years ago though or something you know who knows um so i don't hold too much value to them personally but they can be helpful for marketing purposes and and for, you know, a young actor's career and stuff like that. But, um, you know, is another Oscar going to make Meryl Streep's life any different? Probably not. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, you know, for someone like, um, let me just Google it. I want to forget his name. It's Bob Dole. Bob Dole. Um <laughs> Who's that guy? From Captain Phillips, is a Somalian actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with this, and I already agree. Yeah, he won an... Yeah, Barkhad Abdi. You know, he won... Oh, he got nominated for an Oscar for that. Um, That probably changed his life, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I totally, totally agree with that. No, for, so, you know, for some... For a situation like that, it... it, it it's literally life-altering. I mean, even getting that role is probably a big deal for him. But, uh, you know, I think he got a lot more acting work and, and he's now a professional actor and he continues to act. Um, and, th and that's probably like a huge, huge thing for him because it takes you from the obscure life of basically being no one to, to now being like... Um, infamously recognized face but you know not to say that he wasn't a person before he was an actor but in the in the sense of celebrity i guess which is our next topic anyways but it, it probably had a huge impact on him i changed my answer to amend to add that as well i think that is a fantastic yeah uh, and in the, in the case of film festivals um yeah it depends on the film festival and the award you win um you know, I, I think I'd like to talk about film festivals again because we, we, we have in previous episodes, but it's more, we talked more about like navigating the circuit and all that kind of shit. But I almost want to talk about film festivals the way I talked about film schools a few episodes ago where I really kind of go in on them because I do have a lot of yeah. problems with the whole system. And I think there are a lot of issues that haven't been addressed that I think like newer people to film and, and the industry might benefit from listening to because there are a lot of problems with film festivals yeah i think that's a very good idea but uh yeah they could be helpful in some some extent but you know even for some of the bigger film festivals it's still kind of an insider's club you have to be invited to participate in some instances that's not always true but in a lot of cases that is true yeah, totally. And again, I think this is a great idea. We should definitely do an episode on that. But um, 
I know every film festival is obviously open to submissions. There's not one film festival that doesn't want your money. (laughs) They're all going to take your submission fee. Theoretically, they're all going to watch your movie. Um, But to get into those really notable ones, I think, well, obviously the odds are against you, but it's, it'd be interesting if when you die, if you become omniscient, if you could really see like how many movies do they take from submissions versus, you know, known producers getting their movies in there through connections and stuff like that. I bet you it is not all that many. Yeah. I'd agree. But I think there's also some truth to the fact that if someone that the festival knows is working on the film, there's a chance it will be better than a random submission because there's people who have some sort of clout because they've made something good before working on a project and that gives it a little more credibility. So I do, I do think there's some stake in that, but you know, having an actor who is a talented actor as opposed to random people, but even a film with no actors and no famous producers or directors on it can still get into bigger festivals. That's, it's not impossible, but the film has to be pretty good for it to do that. I don't think a festival will turn down a good film because there's no one famous in it. I think really, ultimately, that is a, a big factor is just making a, you know, a damn good movie. You know, I, I think of like, uh, you know, Ramin Barani, who's, who was virtually a nobody when he was making his early films with very little money, working with non-actors. And no, and no one really knew who he was or any of the phases in the film, but it was just a kind of a strong movie with an interesting perspective um, and an interesting way of storytelling that people just hadn't seen before. So um, there's, a, I, I guess, a counterexample to the kind of insider circle thing, but it, it's really kind of, it takes remarkable filmmaking, not just good filmmaking. You have to really be a, above what everyone else is doing. Not just in terms of style, but in terms of your voice. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there's so much more that goes into it as well. Like, the first thing that comes to mind too when you said like, they won't reject your movie just because you don't have name actors in it. Like, that's true. Um, but it could also be like, we are Festival A, and we have a choice between two movies. One doesn't have any named actors in it, and it's really, 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 really good. And the other does have named actors, and it's pretty good. But the one that has actors and is pretty good fits in more with our lineup. Like, maybe it's a it's a pirate movie, and all of our other movies are pirate movies, and this other one is a, I don't know, a little love story or whatever it is, right? The movie will have to fit in with the the style and the tone of the festival as well. So in that sense, they probably would go with the one that would fit more with their lineup than the really, really, really good one. Um, But again, yeah, we'll get into that. It's a good idea. We should do another episode on that. Yeah, just to kind of get the kind of, I guess, darker perspective of how film festivals operate. The evil side. A little bit, yeah. The Diet Coke of evil. All right. Um, well, yeah, any last thoughts on awards? Yeah, I mean, 
listen, like, you know, we're, we're working in an art form, obviously. And I think in any art form, it's a little weird to have awards. Uh, yeah. Because the value of a piece of art is really dependent on the person who's watching it. Um, it isn't like a sport where there's only one person who can be in first place. Uh, how we, how you value, you know, artwork that you take in really depends on your sensibility and what you value in life. So it's hard to give awards to values in a way because um, everything's got its place and purpose. So I don't, I don't think they're that important, but I do see where they can be helpful. Yeah, definitely. And also on the note of like where I just said that film festivals will very much have um, styles that they go for. Keep in mind that awards and like award bodies and entities, they have the same thing too. Like it's pretty well known that some people will say, you've made this movie, this movie is Oscar bait. And the reason they say that is because the Oscars very much have a kind of feeling to their movies right like you're more likely to be recognized if you go along these lines kind of things like john wick was never gonna win an oscar that doesn't mean it's not a great movie and i'm sure that john wick picked up all kinds of awards at things that are more geared towards actions and stunts right um so if you're someone that does get invested in these things or if you're someone that makes a movie and you're up for an award and you don't win it don't be don't let it get to you that you didn't get nominated or you didn't get into something or you didn't win because it's like you said it's very much subjective through the eyes of the person watching it and it will always fit in with a style that people are trying to curate yeah and that's a good segue into the next category where we talk about the idea of celebrity and how that could be yeah you know detrimental to a career of any artist Totally. Why don't you kick this one off? Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about it in relation to actors, um, for example, because I, I hear people say this all the time, and I can't quite get around to it, because um, I, I don't feel that way often. It's very rare that I do, but like when someone sees an actor in a movie, and they say, well, that's just that actor, as opposed to being like that's the character in the movie um and do you mean like an actor that always plays the same role no more like you know if someone sees like i don't know george clooney in a movie and they just say well that's just george clooney being himself uh and he does that in every movie or something it's like well how would you know? Do you know who George Clooney is personally? You know, um, more than likely, an actor is going to have the same voice, unless they really try to change it. In in most movies that they're in, they're not going to really change their face unless that's part of the movie as well. So, really, you're going to be seeing a lot of the same thing when when you watch a lot of the same actor in different things. So, partially, you have to suspend that kind of like idea that this is who this person is but i think it's also a problem of paying too much attention to the idea of celebrity as well you know if you are if you're always watching interviews with actors and you're seeing pictures and you're reading stories and 
all that kind of stuff. You become accustomed to that person in that sense of their personality as well. So whenever you see them in a movie, you're always thinking of them as the name they carry and not as the character that trying, they're trying to play in the film. And I guess that's maybe one of the benefits of like, you know, being Daniel Day-Lewis is because he, he goes so far with everything that he does um, <laughs> that it's not so hard for someone watching him to kind of like accept it because he's made this huge effort. Whereas an actor who kind of feels the same in a lot of movies, but ultimately, you know, they may be, it just might be because people write that way for that actor. That's kind of, I guess, part of the problem with being famous as well is because now that's tied to your image and your face. People will just be like, well, that's just Will Smith. Or that's just, uh, you know, Brad Pitt. Um, and, and for an artist, it's kind of crippling because it, it limits you and doesn't allow you to do something. And even for directors, that, that can be a case where now Michael Bay has the stamp on as like that Transformers jerk or something. Or Christopher Nolan is like the guy who's always trying to like, you know, twist the ending or, or do some sort of time manipulation or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, you hear about people getting typecast all the time and I, I find it interesting those that don't fight it and those that are like fuck that like I was someone asked me the other day like would you ever act in anything and I was like honestly like I would consider it as long as I was nothing like me and what comes to mind is um, there's a story of when Dave Bautista got into acting uh, I guess he got an acting agent or it was his wrestling agent whatever the agent was um, he got he brought something to him and he's like look you can do this and he read it he's like but that's just me and he's like yeah that's what you want you're Dave Bautista so go be Dave Bautista he's like I don't want to do that and he's like well you don't want to be a character actor and he's like no I do want to be a character actor and to me I'm like good for you man and honestly I think he's a really good actor like it watching him in Guardians of the Galaxy and then Blade Runner 2049 like I love people I can just not be the same person in every movie they do and will go and do the character acting um so that's someone that definitely i would feel avoids typecast and avoids that kind of thing you're talking about well it's it's partially i mean typecasting is kind of a partial problem but it's the problem of like when you become so famous that your face can't be detached from the idea of of who you are in the public persona because of how big you've become you know um, that's kind of like the problem with like our fascination with celebrity in this culture is because like people are so glorified because of, you know, they're in a movie. Um, and that's something that we can't reconcile with. And I don't think that's a problem that can be solved, but it's partially why I don't pay attention to, you know, tabloids. And I, I try not to watch actor interviews and stuff like that too much just because I don't want to ruin that experience for myself in a movie. Not that that's happened to me. I can usually enjoy most movies, even with big actors in them, but I think like that that's a problem I hear people have all the time when they say, like, uh, but that's, you know, that's just Matt Damon or something. Um, it's like, of course that's Matt Damon. <laughs> um, but it's also a movie, and you have to learn to kind of, like, let yourself go. But... I think there's 
sometimes, you know, that's why sometimes I like watching really obscure movies because there's faces that I just don't know. Um, and you're just kind of curious about it and, and watching it without that kind of attachment to the idea of who they are because you can't escape that anyways. Um, but I, I also think about it in a sense that there's something kind of difficult too when you have an actor playing a role that's really um, disconnected from your perception of them. You know, it's like if you got you know, Leo DiCaprio to play, like, a homeless guy, you know, you'd be like, this guy has no clue what it's like to be this character. Um, but he could try to, you know, learn what that feels like, and he might do a really good job at it. You know, he could just, like, change how he looks for, like, a month and just go live on the streets, and I'm sure he might try something like that, but... Um, even if he's done all that research and all that stuff because we know who he is and because we know that he could pretty practically, you know, do anything he wants because of how much money he has. It, there's a curse on that because it's tough for an act, you know, a big actor to do something like that because we just, we would just never believe it, even if they're really trying their best. Um, and it's hard to blame the person watching. But I also have sympathy for the person trying to do the role. Um, but at the same time, you know, these are all just kind of side effects of just celebrity culture. Like you mentioned, it's interesting if you were to see DiCaprio as a homeless person, because right off the right off the bat, if you're someone that's invested in celebrity culture, you'd be like, this is fucking stupid. Why would they do this? Um, actually... <laughs> Bill Burr has a really good skit on this in his newest special, um, Blood Tiger, Paper Tiger, something like that. Have you seen that, Latif? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so he starts off with saying, like, Brian Cranston got in a bunch of shit because he played a quadriplegic in a movie. And then people are like, why did you have him playing it when you could have had an actual disabled person playing it? And uh, he's like, because that's not acting. And his joke is like, imagine if they got a quadriplegic to do the role. And then he was like, how'd you, he's in an interview. It's like, how did you prepare for this role? And he's like, I dove into the shallow end of a pool. I feel like I've been researching for this role my entire life. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm also someone where like, I used to be more into sort of celebrity culture than I am now. And I often wonder, like, is that, has that dwindled because I've gotten more into making movies or because I'm busier than I was before or because I've kind of grown older and more apathetic and I straight up just do not care anymore? Um, Do you find, like, has that happened to you as well? Yeah, I think I've never completely felt that way in terms of film like I've never really been like a huge fan of any actors or anything like that in that kind of kind of intense way I I think for me it's more been with music like I I really love musicians in that way but there's a nice disconnect because I'm not listening to them talk unless they're singing but usually I'm just listening to their music and and I love the music so much that I'm 
a fan of the artist you know I might have a poster or might buy the album so I I feel okay in that sense because there's still some disconnect from the real person because I'm really just enjoying the, the music but what the problem with like film actors and stuff and, and directors is part of the marketing system is you get to know the person a little bit and it becomes a little like you know you you lose that kind of mystery of who this person is which I think is nice for musicians because um, the most you get is maybe at an, an, an interview or if you get to meet them or something but even then you don't really know who they are um, and I'm not saying you do with like um, movie people but the detachment isn't as strong you know, because with the music, it's just an experience of me listening to something they've created. Um, so I, I, I let myself go a little with music culture, because I love being a fan of musicians I like. But I, you know, I th the people I like the most in, in the film industry aren't actors. Usually there are other filmmakers, um, you know, or other technicians that work in the industry people don't even know exist anyways so I'm okay with being you know like a big fan of those people because like you know they're not in, on the screen all the time and people usually don't have any idea who they are um, so it's not something I struggle with too much but you know there are some actors who I, I really admire and like but I try not to become too much a fan of, of, of any actor as well totally fair um what do you think the biggest drawbacks are of people that are too entwined in celebrity culture and the fucking tmz world of it all when it comes to being ingrained in that world and trying to watch media with those people that are in the tabloids yeah to, i think like that to me that's the extreme when you get that far, it becomes kind of like a disease in a way, you know? Yeah. You, you, like reality television and stuff like that, you, you start to become kind of like conditioned to to be a certain way. And there's certain, I think, you know, I can't speak to it, but, you know, there's certain traits, I think, that come out in a person that aren't, you know, the best to have. You know, you, you become more prone to gossip and you enjoy kind of that devious, like, look into people's lives and scandal and stuff like that and I think become less forgiving as well um you know I you know I, I don't like to vilify you know a famous person when something when they do something wrong or anything I just kind of take a step back and and, and let it play out and, and try not to be too you know vocal about all that kind of stuff because I I don't know know the person or the people involved I don't know anyone's personal life or, or, or backstory I haven't spoken to any to anyone so I can't like speak on any you know celebrity scandal issues and stuff like that um, I just have to watch from afar and kind of you know assess my own kind of place in all of it and and just be careful about how I treat other people and, and what I allow people to do to me as well um, it's, it's, it's messy stuff I, I think it's maybe the, the part of it I enjoy the least as well I, I think uh, there's something kind of nice about being in a, a obscurity where only a few people know who you are enjoy your work but you still get a, a sense of freedom 
Yeah, I'd say that's that's totally fair. And like, you'll often find, like, I remember back when I was more into celebrity culture, which I I should say, like, I was never big into it. It just I'm really not that into it now. But I remember um, Ed Norton saying a thing where he was like, when he gets noticed on the subway, he fucking hates it. <laughs> it's like to have it invade your personal life to that degree must be a big pain in the ass. So to work at the level that we're, we're working at, in a sense, anonymity is a kind of a blessing in a way, right? And should we be inundated with... <laughs> more success that might be something that falls by the wayside later so at at the very least i think everyone could agree that if you are trying to work in the entertainment industry that maybe try to enjoy anonymity in case one day it is taken away from you against your will yeah it's just yeah when you're saying that my mind went back to king of comedy for some reason but it, I think it oh, kind yeah. of ties to a lot of the things we're talking about today. And it's a, it, you know interesting, I think interesting thing to always look at in in films as well because that's something that a lot of filmmakers make movies about too. But uh, you know, I haven't had to grapple with that. <laughs> I'm not famous, um, and I also haven't won any awards. But quite frankly, there's something nice about being a bit of a loser well let's just say a bit of an unknown for now latif well yeah i guess that's one way to put it i don't think it's so bad to be a loser (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's fair yeah all right well yeah i mean that's pretty much my my few thoughts on the celebrity culture you have anything else uh no not really there's nothing wrong with being a fan of people as well, but uh, don't, don't get so hyper-focused on people where they become like idols, I guess. Yeah, and don't stalk people. That's not cool. Yeah, hopefully people know that we don't have to be the first ones telling them. Unless it's Latif, you can stalk him. It's okay. No, wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. I really enjoyed this episode. It was a few things that are a little off the beaten path from what we usually talk about. And I had fun. Yeah. Hopefully someone finds value in this. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, I am Matt Ralston. And I'm Latif. And this podcast is brought to you by Acasts. It's a podcast hosting service that's cheap and awesome. The streaming service. Right. That what what Latif said. You should do the outro Latif. <laughs> yeah. But I also host podcasts, so you're you're half right. Alright guys, we'll see you. We'll see you next time.